0: This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, Trusted Natural Solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DoD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag optnatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS the number four MIL, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Military Podcast. All right, so on this podcast, uh, we're joined by J.B. Spisso, and along with uh, Paul Martinez, I'm Robert Gowan. And first, I'd like to thank everybody that supports us on the Patreon site. Uh, we're really appreciative of those individuals that are out there helping us support the podcast, and especially our sponsor, Uncana. If you haven't checked them out, please do. It's uncana.com. You can use the code mentors for meal and automatically receive 20% discount each time that you use it. And those uh, percentages are normally not offered to just anybody. They normally do it on sales or to uh, the veterans and first responders that have to get verified first. So please take advantage of those uh, discounts and use those at any time. So welcome to the show, JB. I can't wait to dive into a little bit of your background. And uh, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us here on Mentors for Military.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. I'm honored to be here, and uh, thank you for asking me to come on. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, you know, we
0: started talking, I want to say it was about two months ago, about your background, but let's rewind a bit. Let's go way back into the very beginning here. I don't know that I ever asked you, JB, where is it that you're originally from?
1: So originally from born and raised, uh, a small town right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah? And um, right outside of Pittsburgh uh late trobe if you if you know it it's a home of arnold palmer so okay hey <laughs> one, of the, one of the best best golfers ever so
0: a lot of italians in that area
1: there is that's a lot of uh, you know big ethnic community italians polish slovak so so what was it that made you want to go into the military uh, well um you know i'm not sure really uh you know how you or paul got in but uh you know i i uh came from middle class family in in pittsburgh uh you know my father uh, was a supervisor in a factory. My mother was a, a school teacher, a principal, and I said, you know, I'll I'll pay for my own way to go to college. You know, my two older sisters, so they were always hustling, working hard to put them through college. I said, I'll pay my own way, and I went down to see the uh, army recruiter, and um, you know, this is the day, Paul. You won't know this, but this is the day before the internet obviously, and uh, Paul um, just
0: looks young. He's actually older. Yeah,
1: uh, he looks young, that's for sure. <laughs> so no, I'm actually you know, young, you,
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, you know, you go see the Army recruiter, and I'm like, yeah, I want four years of college. They're like, great, what job do you want to do? And, you know, they hand you that big book, and you start going through it. You know, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea from one job to the next. Like, oh, yeah. I had no idea what anything was. So, And, uh, you know, he looks over my fitness records, and my high school transcript tells me to do some push-ups. You know, he's he's got a pull-up bar across his bar uh, doorway, tells me to do some pull-ups. And he's like, why don't you become an Ar- Army Ranger? I'm like, great, what do they do? And he goes, jump out of airplanes, blow stuff up. I said, sign me up. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's great. And uh, y- you'll both enjoy this. So I went to, uh, you know, Fort Benning, you know, school of boys there, infantry school, an oh, yeah. airborne school. And then back in those days, you know, 3rd Ranger Battalion was just standing up. So, so Ranger Doctrination pro- Program, back then it was called RIP. Now it's called, obviously, uh, Ranger Assessment Selection Process. But back in those days, RIP was done at the battalion.
0: Mm-hmm, so,
1: mm-hmm. so they took the craziest rangers and made them RIP instructors. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I show up. And I was, I could have been on Mars. I was like, what am I doing? And, you know, the whole old adage, like, okay, I'm just not going to quit today. And, um, you know, I make it through Rip. I get to 2nd Ranger Battalion. And my first squad leader uh, was Ranger legend Staff Sergeant Hugh Roberts at the time. He was already jumped into grenade. I was a Grenader invader. And he ended up being the Ranger Regimental Sergeant Major. So he's, you know, one of only... I don't know, you know, maybe you know Paul. It's probably only about eighteen men that have held that position. So, you know, I had a great squad leader and uh you know there there it went. So, you know, welcome to the army.
0: Was it that you selected second or was it they helped select it for you?
1: Yeah, no. So I was on um, you know, the like the, the Ranger X contract, whatever they call it. Option and, forty. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. So you didn't know if you were gonna be an infantryman or uh, mortar. So eleven, mm-hmm. you could either be eleven Bravo or eleven Charlie, and you didn't know if you were going to first battalion or second battalion. Yeah, and like I, I, I really had no preference. I didn't know enough about it. Yeah, and th- you know, next thing you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, Fort Lewis, Washington. So, so what? What year was this? That was. Uh, So I went in August '84, so that was beginning of uh, '85. I went to rep. Oh,
0: okay. Damn, I I was actually out on recruiting duty, believe it or not, JB. At this time frame, but I didn't have a pull up bar in my office. I was was... an interesting dude then. Had a pull up bar and made you do pull ups. I guess I I probably should have done some of that stuff as well.
1: Yeah, And I think I think, and I and I I don't know why I distinctly remember, but my recruiter was a <clears throat> was a tanker because like so when was I. I signed, he, okay, there you go, yeah. so yeah, perfect. So when I signed, he gave me a picture of a tank, and he like signed it, and I was like, oh, that's I, awesome, yeah. I think I still have it. So
0: yeah, get out of here. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So. Well, and I bet it was and let's put, see it was put eighty that thing on eBay, yeah, no lie. I bet that thing wasn't even an m one at that time frame because there was very few of us that actually had gone through the m one transition in nineteen eighty four. It was really more of the m sixty a three so you had a picture of a dinosaur with somebody's signature on it
1: probably no, I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I was like, thank you. I didn't know what to say so,
0: yeah. oh my God, okay, so
1: so it started there. then I went e one to e six and uh you know, second range of routine, and you know how it is and. You know, you do a good job, you get promoted, you go to all these schools. You know, I started going to, you know, all the HUA schools and, you know, Jumpmaster, Halo, Pathfinder, all this stuff. Halo, Jumpmaster. And then I actually, um, our uh, battalion sergeant major, another legend was uh, uh, Sergeant Major uh, Mariano Leon Guerrero. They called him LG. So So he became the Ranger Regimental Sergeant Major and he said, hey, I want you to come work at regimental headquarters at RIP. And I'm like, okay. So then I ended up being a RIP pre-ranger instructor for, for, for two years. Um, and then he said, Hey, I'd like you, I'd like you to go be a drill instructor. I was like, what? And, and I went to be a DI at Fort Benning and he said, he said, listen, go be a DI. I'll bring you back to the regiment. And he was a man of his word. Then I ended up at first Ranger battalion as a platoon sergeant. And then, you know, West Point and that sort of thing after that. Yeah, but, let's, so uh, let's
0: rewind a little bit, because you're at uh, 75th Ranger Regiment, the exact same time frame that I'm at Fort Benning. So when you were there, I got there in August of 1990 at Fort Benning, and um, that was the same time frame that you were there. Now, I was over yep. at, at um, 11th Infantry Regiment. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Before that, though, you'd already gone into Operation Just Cause.
1: Correct. I and, went with, uh, yep.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Okay.
1: No, I was in regimental headquarters there. I jumped in with team black. Yeah. So,
0: okay. Yeah. That's
1: uh, interesting. You know, I was like 23 years old staff sergeant and, uh, you know, I jump in, jump in with team black and you know how it happens, you know, you land, you know, I, I fall into, you know, some Constantino wire, you know, I get all my stuff together, put my ruck ruck on my strap breaks. I cherry rig that <laughs> and, and, and you know how it is. You never want to be the last person to the assembly area, right? Cause you never hear the end of that. You'll be buying beer forever. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, you know, you know, you get there, you're engaging the enemy across this airfield. And finally, I get there and I was the second guy in. So I set up the assembly area for regimental headquarters. So it was pretty good.
0: Oh, my God. I remember yeah. uh, <laughs> arriving to uh, the compound there, at Ranger uh, Regiment and 3rd Bat was there at that time frame and it was about 91. And so I walk in there and uh, I'm looking for uh, this reenlistment in CO that's over there. And I call out a, a guy's name because I've seen somebody and said, hey, do you know, you know, staff sergeant such and such? And they go, yeah, he's right over there. Well, I heard all of a sudden this guy go, you need to drop it right now and, you know, and give me 40 or whatever it was. And next thing you know, he's like, incline, incline. The guy had to get up on the, the steps that were leading up to one of these old buildings and started doing sure. push-ups and everything. And turns out that was the guy. Of course, he had jumped into Panama, but he broke it, broke his hip upon landing. And so he also wow. received the Purple Hearts. He felt like he wasn't a, you know, he didn't really yeah. deserve any of that because he actually broke his hip, laid on the airfield, waiting for somebody to come finding. Never really fired his weapon the whole damn time, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, he he just kind of felt like he didn't deserve any of the uh, you know, accolades <laughs> no, or awards. Des- he
1: he, he deserved it. The funny story about like going in there. So so I, we were on a C-130, and we did the you know the long route around cuba to panama right okay so from fort bank and so like imagine we were rigged up in our rig parachute rig nine and a half hours i mean you know he couldn't even get up to take a leak like it was he lost 20 pounds (laughs) exactly right so so paul you'll especially like this one so so in that in that uh, combat action, we actually wore the you know the Raggedy Ann on our Kevlars, right? The you know you basically take you know BDUs and you make the Raggedy Ann, you know, almost like a like a ghillie suit cover for your helmets yep. because because the enemy ha- had Kevlars. We sold it to them. We sold it to the Panamanian Defense Force, right? <laughs> so we sold them all this stuff. So we did that to do you know differentiate. Well, we had a couple of psyops guys on our plane. They they show up. They're in there, and so I'm sitting next to this guy. You know, he's like, you know, a captain, and I'm like, "Where's your, where's your in?" And he's like, "What?" I'm like, "No, like look at everybody else." And he's like, "Oh," I'm like, "You're gonna get shot by one of these guys." <laughs> <laughs> and so this guy, like, totally. This, yeah, this guy like. Gets you know, I said I said I'm a jump master. Get out of your rig. I'll I, you know I'll 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 re rig you. Make sure you get. So he gets out of his rig. He takes his his BDU top. He cuts strips and he, you know he makes it you know you know attaches it to his helmet. So this guy's like jumping in in like a t shirt. It was hilarious. Huh.
0: Oh, that but, is hilarious. I like but that. You, I do yeah,
1: like that. You can't make that up. He was like, oh, what's the big deal? I'm like, yeah, one of these guys is going to shoot you. So, well,
0: <laughs> no lie, man. There'd be no way that I'd want to do that. Smart guy for doing that. So yeah. I guess the rest of his team, there, because there, there was a couple of them. Well, did
1: just the- two of them. Yeah. They, yeah. He ripped his shirt up and he, you know, gave his, he had like a specialist or a corporal with him. And, and uh, yeah, it was, you know, you know, you both know, you know, your first, um, your first like combat experience, you're like. Okay, like, what's going on here, right? You're just gathering it all in, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, I was fortunate to, you know, be a part of, you know, such such great, such great unit, and such great people around you. So
0: yeah, no doubt. So I got a question though? Because yeah. there's been all kinds of stories, and I remember this staff sergeant telling me the story um, there at third bad about 82nd coming in. So you've got to, you know, we probably have a lot of guys from 82nd that's going to be listening. What's the real uh, story? Did they make a Hollywood jump? Or did they come in and at 500 feet and do a combat jump like you guys did?
1: Well, remember there were two airfields. There were Toros Tacumen, to which was the which was the civilian airfield. Hato. I jumped in Riojato which was the military airfield. So we had Seventh ID. Remember Seventh ID mm-hmm. it used to be in in California. Oh yeah, Seventh Infantry.
0: Yeah, I had a buddy that like, actually did jump in um, as well. Oh no, they came in and landed. No, I'm sorry, they, right? They
1: air landed. They yeah. air landed. But so. So they didn't tell these guys where they were going. So they literally got off the plane in winter gear. Like I was what? like in Panama. It, 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 well, because really? they didn't tell them where they were going. Sure. So they're like, yeah, they're, no, it was California. They were like, oh, we don't know where we're going. Right, right. So, you know, these guys were like, I'm like, strip that off. Strip. But it was, um, you know, but when they showed up, we already had our sectors of fire, everything already done. You know, they showed up and relieved us. And uh, you'd have to ask somebody else about the tourist to jump. So I'm not okay. sure how that happened.
0: Yeah. I was yeah. always curious about that. I've heard different stories and guys saying, you know, no, they actually made a combat jump, but then I've also heard other people say, no, 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 that was totally a Hollywood jump.
1: Well, then there's also stories about like, like, you know, some people jump reserves, some people didn't jump reserves. There's a little bit of mix about, you know, did they put the reserves on the plane? That sort of thing. Cause, um, our AGL and it's on my my that jump log from there was 465 feet AGL. So oh my god! I, I, I don't even remember like checking my canopy. I just was like, I you know, I, you know, I felt the shock and then I was like, oh okay, people are shooting down here. <laughs> so
0: jumping in though that hot with uh, that man 464 feet,
1: 65. Uh, yep, AGL was on our on our log, yep. Yeah,
0: skip so, the reserve and wear your ankle braces I Yeah, guess. no no live man. I mean Yeah,
1: but I think I think the only time I think the reason we wore reserves, I think the only reason to wear reserves is in case you're a toe jumper. I mean, because yeah. you know, you're gonna cut that guy away, at least he has a chance to save himself. Right. Like you're not gonna pull him you're not gonna pull him back in in that scenario. Right. Right? right. Like but uh I don't believe and there's uh, you know, I don't know how to you know I wasn't in obviously uh you know, first or uh, first, second or third battalion. Then, so I don't know what some of them did, but I don't think some of the guys in first bat actually wore the reserve. So, but yeah. you don't have to call one of those guys in it.
0: I mean, the guy now it makes total sense. Um, you know, I knew of course combat jump typically around five hundred, but you're talking four sixty four. I mean, if this dude would have actually, yeah. So if this dude at 550, 600, if this guy. Would have jumped in at four sixty four because he was on your stick or on your uh your bird and everything then and he hit the airfield because he said he actually hit the airfield uh coming in yeah um no wonder he broke his hips
1: yeah, yeah, and then we remember both targets were both airfields, one was the civilian air airport, one was the military airport, so yeah they were both air both airfields, so yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. So then mm-hmm. after that though, you end up going to uh, uphold the uh, democracy in Haiti in ninety
1: four. Yeah, so we were on I was in First Ranger Battalion then. So let's back up. So we actually um first first Ranger Battalion was training for the Somalia mission. Mm. And we, we we were training for like four months. We were supposed to go to Somalia and we were, we and, and we did all the scenarios, Blackhawks, um we did it by Blackhawks. We did it by Chinooks. We were on Little Birds. So we did that whole. They, back then they called it, you know, Silver Bullet Package, where they basically took like, you know, you know Delta Squadron, you know Ranger Battalion. They were trying to package all that together and have these guys like work together, so you could kind of see them. You'd kind of know them. Yeah. You know, get a, you know, get any kind of like, I'm tougher than you out of the way, right? So. Um yeah, it was yeah, it's funny how that happens. oh, yeah, right yeah and so and so then, um right before the mission, we had a regimental change of command, and the regimental commander came from third Ranger battalion, and then he changed, and like literally at the eleventh hour, we were we actually flew to Fort Bliss, Texas, first Ranger battalion. We flew to fort for um Bravo Company. Bravo Company, first range of battalion, flew to Fort Bliss, Bliss, Texas, and we get there, and Bravo Company, third range of battalion, shows up. And we're like, what are you guys doing here? They're like, we're going to Somalia. We're like, no, you're not. We're going to Somalia. They're like, no, you're not. <laughs> and sure enough, they got on the plane, went to Somalia. We got on the plane. We went back to Hunter Army Airfield. Did you ever so, learn why? Uh, I think just regimental change of command. Like, yeah. you know, he just wanted – he came from there, wanted his guys to – I don't know. So, yeah. you know, we had a great – we had uh, – we had – Colonel Pentecost was our battalion commander then. Um, Jeff Bannister, who's a uh, two-star general, he just died, God rest his soul. Like, Jeff Bannister was our company commander. We had an awesome, awesome company. Like, um, uh, you know, Bravo Company, First Ranger Battalion was great. So then, you know, a year later, the whole, you know, Haitian vacation thing starts. And, uh <laughs> <laughs> Once so, again, a hotspot
0: um, as well. I mean, as far as, well, you know, yeah.
1: So, yeah, so we get, you know, so of course, you know, and they're, you know, what a, what a concept doing a, a you know, an air salt off of a carrier yeah. onto a target, like awesome. Right. And um, again, we had a great mission there ready to go. And then, uh, you know, um, actually President Clinton gave the go, but uh, remember former President Carter, Sam Nunn. And it might have been Cole and Powell. There were three people that were trying to broker a peace deal. Mm -hmm. And so they said, "Okay, you got till this time. And uh, supposedly former President Carter didn't want to leave. And then the mission got called off and then we ended up riding a carrier for 44 days. So imagine a Ranger Battalion Plus. So we had a Ranger Battalion Plus on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Um, Jeez. Yeah. What? So, <laughs> yeah.
2: For forty-four so, days.
1: Forty-four days. So, if how, you could. Imagine, how much
2: money did that cost the Arm the Navy?
1: It, well, if you could imagine. Damages. Well, exactly. Damages. Exactly. Um. So of course we had the Army Navy boxing match. Oh yeah. Which turned into a complete gong show, <laughs> where, where the ship captain came on and said, you know. And and the carrier captain's like a two star, right? Because right. He's like the ba- he's like the battle commander, right? Fleet commander. He's like, there will be no boxing on this carrier <laughs> until further notice. You know, because we started off. It started off friendly, you know. And then somebody gets a, oh my god, it was. Oh, yeah. That
2: that escalated.
1: Oh, you, know, you think?
2: Shocking.
1: <laughs> you think? Because <laughs> you know, uh, you know everything's cuz everything in the navy's designed around like these 12-hour shifts, right? So, right. that's all they do. They do, they either work or they sleep. So, you know, there's small gyms. you know, you can. we were like running on the uh, you know, running on the hangar deck cuz they took the flight wing off. I have a great photo of the USS America. There's no fighter jets on it and it's only special operations aircraft. It's 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 Oh, awesome. that's wicked cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. really cool. Wicked cool. Blackhawks Blackhawks, little birds, Chinooks, yeah, uh, Tasswords one hundred yep. and sixty.
0: And I gotta believe that's the first time, and probably the last time that's ever happened, right? Well, um, outside of JSOC type of operations or something of that nature, but
1: uh, well, I mean, on that scale, yeah, yeah at that scale, was, right? Yeah, because it was gonna, it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was gonna be a full scale hit on, on Haiti. Like it was, they, they were taking down. The cops, because the cops are all bad. They were taking down. You know the military they were like it was going to be complete government change yeah nighttime air mobile insertion yeah oh, which would have been super hot we were on blackhawk super hot fast roping like right outside we were going to, we were going to the police compound so that it would have been that thing would have been super hot but then last minute it got scratched yeah. <laughs> so we just you know flew sorties
0: yeah yeah, so you're at uh, 38th Infantry at Fort Benning and 91 to 93, and then after that you go to go to First Bat and yeah. as a platoon sergeant from 93 to 96. So how was it when you came back into uh, battalion? You know, back after coming from being a drill sergeant and being away from it for a while and everything. What was it yeah. like? Because I mean, yeah. they had to be kind of difficult in some ways. Well-
1: yeah, I mean the the positive thing was is you know I had a Ranger a regimental combat patch, so that yeah. helped. But oh, yeah. I wasn't from one seven five, so don't let anybody tell you differently. They're like, oh, this guy's from two seven five. Like it was, it's like, oh, he's from another battalion. Right. I'm like, but a lot of people knew me because I did work at Rip and Pre Ranger for two years. Um, but you know, we're, there weren't very many Ranger platoon sergeants that were drill instructors too. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, I, you know, I didn't I wasn't something I wanted to do. But uh, Sergeant Major LG Leon Guerrero, he said to me, he's like, you know, you'll learn things that the Rangers won't teach you. And I was like, whatever. Like, I, I didn't say that openly, but I'm thinking in my mind. Yeah. And and he was right. So my partner on the trail was a guy by the name of Joe Dixon, whose entire military career before he came to be a drill instructor. Was an army marksmanship unit, so it's like, yeah, I thought I could shoot, it, like, uh, you know. He's like, <laughs> like, and so I finally was like, okay, you need to show me how to shoot.
0: Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Get me to the range. Yeah, show me what you're doing.
1: Like the one day we went, you know, in the old school, you know, uh, the old school, and they had the you know the forty targets, right? Yeah. So we went out there, and you know, we're 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 next to each other, and we're both drill instructors, and we're shooting, and. Um, I actually think I shot, like, I shot 40 out of 40. He shot 40 out of 40. So I was feeling good. And he goes, and he yells at me. He's like, all right, we're going to do it again. This time left-handed. I was like, what? (laughs) And so he shoots 40 out of 40 left-handed. I shoot like 12. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay. And you know what? He, like, he just showed me like things about like basic marksmanship sure and advanced marksmanship he just showed me like so many subtle little things that you would never learn unless you're with an expert like that right and obviously you know paul you were in a sniper section so you were with other experts and you learn these like like you learn these things and it's uh so he taught me so much and my other two partners one was an 11 charlie so i didn't know really anything about mortars i mean i I thought I knew mortars. I didn't know anything about mortars. And the other guy was an 11 hotel. So um, like, you know, they both had like, I had like seven years in the army. I get promoted to E7. So now I'm their boss. I'm an E7 with seven years in the army. I'm their boss. And both of them have like. It's crazy to me already. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them have like 15 plus years in the military, all three of them. And so they taught me so much, like I was smart enough to be like, okay, I need to learn. Yeah. All right. And when it came to like small unit tactics, field craft, tracking, counter tracking, that kind of stuff, I showed them all that because that's what we did in the Rangers, right? That's that's all we did. Like you we can navigate, you know, we get from here to there. <laughs> and you, you know, we, we know how to survive. So yeah. um I I, I I gotta tell you, I like I thought as a platoon sergeant, I came to, I became here. Because of that two years, I was a drill instructor. Oh, I learned cool. so much. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I was considered a pretty good shot in the uh-huh. sniper section at third bat, and then you know I, I went down the road, and my buddies went down the road, and they went to AMU, and I did not, and I cannot uh, shoot with those guys. Not even yeah. close. It's, I mean, it is night and day, and I was good. You know, I was yeah. a really good shot. I'm not afraid to say it. And yeah. I, I got to say, I'm probably, I, I can't even compete with them on any it, level, any discipline. Even long guns.
1: Yeah, insane. it's a ama- it's amazing that like, and, and you know, and I'm glad the military's like taking that on now. Like they mm-hmm. have the AMU guys like getting out of that, and they're learning it. And I know it, even at, when I worked at West Point, they had AMU guys coming to West Point that worked with the cadets. And you know, the um, actually, you know, West Point has a very good combat weapons team, very very good. Hmm. And mm-hmm. and and it's and it's uh, it, it was that. I don't know. I, I, it was back in the day. I don't know if it still is, but it was run by a former AMU guy. So, um, a former AMU, a former AMU major. And yeah, their combat weapons seems pretty darn good. And they go to cephalic and some of these other SOT or whatever they're calling the close quarter combat today. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was just an amazing, you know, amazing experience. And then, you know, when I ended up at West point, I knew nothing about that. And, uh, yeah, so
0: how did that come about? Because, I mean, was it one of these things you just ended up on orders, or was it somebody no. – no?
1: No, you had – yeah, so, no, I was in I was in 1st Ranger Battalion, and actually my, uh, uh, my platoon leader, Andy Ulrich, grabbed me, and he said, hey, uh, I see West Point's looking for TAC NCOs. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, well, each cadet company has a TAC NCO, uh, a, a captain or a major and an E-7 or E-8 that, like – in charge of the company, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's like, you know, I was talking to sergeant major. He's just like, I think you'd be pretty, I'd, you'd be pretty good for that. I was like, I, 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 listen, I literally knew nothing about West point except it was a commissioning source. Right. Like right, right. OCS ROTC West point. Like I knew the lineage of West point Patton, you know, MacArthur and Dwight D Eisenhower. I knew that. But I didn't know anything else about it, so I went up there and interviewed. And the first thing you know, you show up, you show up on campus, and it's literally Castle Grayskull. Like, it—you you walk into that place, you're like, you know, holy moly! Like, I, you know, I was like marching in at attention. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wow. And uh, you know, and I interviewed and 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 I went there, and I got to tell you, it was—that's uh, another place I learned a ton of stuff. Like, really, like you. You know, you can learn and grow and you know, I ran the scuba team there, uh so I was in charge of the you know cadet scuba team and you know, uh you know, worked my skills there as well too and helped teach cadets and cadets taught cadets and um it's uh you know, I just can't speak enough how great uh the United States Military Academy at West Point is. It was great for me, my family. So
0: how many yeah. fellow um NCOs that were there at the military academy had your background were in regiment or anything of that nature or did they, did, how many of those are even combat arms for that matter?
1: So, so what they do is it's somebody from every branch. That's oh, what's so good. Okay, okay. You got armor, aviation, infantry, they'll go down the list. And so then when I got, I'm, I actually uh, was promoted to E8 master sergeant, I went to what's called the department of military instruction. Department of military instruction has one officer, one senior NCO for every branch, and so what they do is they help them, the cadets. You know, talk to them about their branch. They give they give classes, mm. that sort of thing. And it's it's you know so you know um, Paul Paul's got a question about chemical chemical branch, right? He can go talk to an he can go talk to an officer and an NCO from the chemical branch right
0: wow actually that's and pretty cool because i mean you don't even get yeah i mean you think about the guys coming off the street like us i mean we all have our reasons like you said for why we came in but we didn't have that option typically guys sure. end up going into whatever the recruiter is too only because of just that right there the recruiter can explain very well what it was that he did while he was in the service but he sure. can't always you know share something that he never did it's he's gonna you sure. know dance around a little bit on those types of things or even the guidance yeah. counselor for that matter so that's sure. that's actually a really cool offering that they have
1: there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's and and I gotta tell you, they you you know, they've 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 perfected it. They made it a science. They made summer training really great. There's always classes, there's a military science class, uh weekly for cadets, so they can, you know, continue their their military science. Yes, it's it's academic heavy and, and you know, you gotta be a you gotta be a s smart human being to go to West Point. But it's also more than that, right? They mm-hmm. try to they try to adapt them. They put put a lot of money into obviously their their Division One sports, but also their cadet clubs. Like the parachute team is like, you know, they compete against the Gold Knights. Like they, and again, I was telling you about combat weapons. You know, we had a scuba team. Like there's teams, triathlon. Like they, they West Point works hard at at getting that young man and woman a broad experience, right? So. They can be prepared to go, and and you you know you have cadets that like between their junior and senior year going to scuba school, going to halo school, going to jump school, going to air assault school, um, you know going to close quarter combat. Like they're sending cadets to these, they get these experiences and learn right. And I think the more you do that, then the more they can they can touch the army as cadets. Right. The more they understand, the more they understand the army. Yeah. So.
2: Well, I think it's there's a lot of parallels between your time as a drill instructor and, you know, West Point. How they try to round people out. You know, when yeah. people stay in one unit or one MOS in the Army, they, your view gets narrowed. I, sure. I never learned so much as until I left regiment. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't trade my time in battalion and regiment for anything. But sure. like you said, you go to be a, a drill sergeant and. You're surrounded by excellence from so many different backgrounds. So. Well,
0: And, and Regiment yeah. actually pushes that. Uh, they actually yeah. push for you guys to leave, but nobody – either people leave at their time frame, the first opportunity they get, or some guys stay and then never want to leave. And we know some guys yeah. like that, Paul. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And the well, idea – Nobody wants it, to
2: leave what they're
0: used right. to. And no, right. you
1: it's scary. you are the
0: best.
2: So yeah. every day. Like we're the best. Everybody else sucks. We're yeah. the best. Everybody else sucks.
1: And, and you so know why what? Do that? Exactly. You know what? And I had a little bit of that chip on my shoulder. Because you got to remember, like, there there weren't a lot of combat vets then. No, right. Not a lot with so, even mustard so, stains. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a mustard stain. I was a combat vet. I went to I was a Halo Jumpmaster, a Pathfinder, so I had all the, the badges. You know, I had the Ranger bookends. And all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a DI and I'm like wow, I got to, I got to learn some stuff here. Like I, I had to learn. And unfortunately my partners were great. They saw the good in me. Mm-hmm. Like they saw me as this, like, you know, okay. He, we just need to chip away the rough edges. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, it, and that really helped me. And they were so great to me. And then, and then I got, you know, like I said, I got promoted there. And then I'm like, here I am, this like 27 year old kid i'm an e7 i got stopped i got stopped in the fort benning px by a sergeant major who thought i was wearing somebody else's rank
0: oh my god <laughs>
1: wow he's like he's like get over here what are you doing you could be court-martialed i'm like sergeant major i am an e7 and i showed him my id card and he was like okay then <laughs> sorry about that have a good day <laughs> <laughs> you know cuz I was like Hilarious. I was like this ba I was, yeah I was like this ba- baby face kid but and and you're exactly right both of you when you learn when you open up your mind because you got to understand I went E1 to E6 I mean my first 6 years were in the Ranger Regiment I didn't know anything else Yeah yeah like I was I was 18 years old in the Rangers like if my squad leader told me to jump out the window I was jumping out the window like hey, whatever okay who oh. Yep you know
0: same and here I, Yep. Yeah,
1: we like my first platoon party. You'll love this one. I was a, 18 years old. First platoon party. leader says <laughs> mandatory. You got to be at the platoon party. Ride with ride with specialist Smith, who was like the medic. So we ride out to this like campsite and we're out at this campsite. and There's some water and everybody's drinking kegs of beer. And it was, you know, kind of safe and controlled. And next thing you know, I see that one keg is empty. So I see the guy taking the tap off the keg and he takes the keg and he throws the keg into the water. (laughs) It gets better. It gets better. And the platoon sergeant says, the range is now open. Trunks of cars open up. (laughs) I am this like middle class kid. I'm this middle class kid from Pittsburgh, right? Like, I barely touched the gun growing up. Like, Trunks open up. All of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. They are like unloading like mad minute into this barrel to sink it. Oh, and I'm that's like, right. I'm like, you know, it's all done. And he's like, cease fire, cease fire, lock it, clear, put it back in. Like, I'm just like, and they go back to drinking. I'm like, I, 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 I like, I had, I, I was, I was like, okay, <laughs> like. <laughs> First time I did a rappel, first time I did a rappel was off a bumper of a guy's Jeep on a cliff in Washington. He's <laughs> like, Ranger Spizo, do you know how to rappel? I'm like, well, we, you know, we did it in basic training, but not really, Sergeant. Come on, we're going to do it. He parks his Jeep, ties it off, throws a rope under, and we rappel. No helmet nothing you know i'm in like i'm in like sweats <laughs> <laughs> you arrange your panties oh my god i'm, in, I'm in uh, like I'm in like yeah. I'm in like sweat sweatpants but i'm like but but there's something and both of you know this right there's something to that yeah. that that brotherhood right like there's something to all of that and like it 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 basically is a part that like i'm not gonna let you down don't ever worry about it right don't don't ever don't ever worry about that even and the thing that like people don't understand about like being in the military it's a selfless service like i remember when i was a platoon sergeant 175 and 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 just saying like arbitrarily to my squad leader back then paul johnson who's a uh, legend he was a le- legend at mountain ranger camp too and le- you know legend in and in, in, in the rangers he served his entire career either in the regiment or, or, or RTB, Ranger Training Brigade. And I, something like just, he's like, what are you doing this weekend, boss? And I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, replace the flooring in my kitchen. Well, he knows that I have zero, you know, construction education, right? So like the next morning, 7 a.m., ding dong, ding dong, he's reading my doorbell. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, come on, let's replace that flooring. Like, you see what I mean? Yeah. Like. Those are just things that, like, when 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 you know a civilian says something like, "What's the difference between like the military and civilian life?" and I say, like, "That's that's one right there." Now, uh, there's a lot of people that still do that for you, but you know, like you never had to ask. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely, hundred
1: percent. So.
0: Yeah. And I think that not just military civilian, I don't think everybody within the military gets a chance to experience that type of management leadership as well, because we've talked on that on previous podcasts that if you've never had that kind of leader before, then you're missing out. And I feel sorry for you because we I can honestly say I had that type of good leader that helped mentor and coach me very early on in my career as well.
1: Sure. Well, you know, uh, obviously, you know, my book's out warrior leadership, right. Steps to success for leaders on the ground. And you know, my, my one chapter is all about like Hugh Roberts, Sergeant Roberts, like, like he, and, and, and you guys know how it is. Like, like he didn't let anybody else mess with his squad. Like mm-hmm. if his squad screwed up, he was going to take care of it, but he didn't let anybody else mess with it. Right. So like, you felt this sense of protection, right. Right. And, and if you screwed up, you know what? You were gonna go. You were gonna run with him, but you know he would always have your back. And so you, you know, you learned that. You learned that camaraderie, and you learned that, you, you know, that 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 part of you know brotherhood, right? And then I, and then, and then you go to West Point, and you see brotherhood and sisterhood, and how mm-hmm. amazing it is. So. Yeah. And I think that
0: was something that also you, you're you talking about your career and how it evolved in, in different roles and stuff. And we talk about um, people getting outside of their bubble and getting outside of their comfort zone because you get a chance to experience more of real world type of things. And by you getting exposed now to women in the military, having never been with mil- women in the military, is something again brand new and it was very difficult for me in that transition i had to watch what i say i had to realize that things are a lot different you know fortunately i had some really good female uh, soldiers that helped me understand that not all of them were as forgiving you know to some individuals i think but i had some that were like okay you can't say that or hey yeah be careful you can do that around me but just be careful don't do that over there you know that type of thing but i mean again you had the opportunity to evolve (laughs) To the point of not only you experiencing new jobs, new occupations, new environments, different challenges, and each one of those were unique. You decided to go really out of your comfort zone here and you started going into something at the military academy into the um, athletic side. And yeah. that eventually got in like NHL and everything else. So, sure. I mean, what
1: what led to that? Well, I mean, that's the other thing. You take these you take these different opportunities and then, you know, the New York Rangers came up for a camp and Coach Riley, the long time uh long time coach of uh West Point, um uh, little fact there's been r there's been a Riley coaching hockey at West Point since since the fifties. Uh their father No way um yeah, no, their father coached the um Jack Riley coached the nineteen sixty US Olympic team to a gold medal in Squaw Valley. So if you watch the miracle, if you watch the miracle story, you'll you'll know that because Herb Brooks was on that team and he cut him, um, so he's actually in the photo. But he cut him then before the first game, and then Herb Brooks ended up doing that same thing in 1980. But anyway, so been a Riley coach in there, uh, great family. And he said, "Hey, the Rangers, you know, want to do some type of you know team building." And I was like, "Well, what do they want to do?" I went to see the coach. They were predicted to finish last in the NHL. There were 30 teams then. And he's like, you know, what do you guys do? And I'm like, well, we do this, like, you know, battle, march, and shoot, you know, uh, outdoor SFAS kind of thing. And at night, he's like, okay, we're going to do that. I'm like, what? What? Yeah, what? (laughs) And so then – so I get back. I get all the guys together. I'm like – and, you know, these guys are like, wait, we're going to put hockey players through the mud? That's awesome. You know, like (laughs) – like, wait! We're gonna do what? We're gonna run guys up, and so we do this outdoor team building. It was amazing. Uh, Kevin Weeks was there. You know, he's a big NHL uh, broadcaster now. Um, all the all their superstars, Yarmir, Yager, like the whole thing, right? And Coach Rennie and, and Coach Rennie and their team president, Glenn Saylor. They loved it. Now, how we didn't get anybody hurt or killed that night, I have no idea. But <laughs> yeah, you know. I, like literally it was at night, complete dark, it was everything. They repelled, they did like it was, it was swamp, name it, they did it. Pushed the Humvee up a mountain, like it was crazy. Yeah. So Ropes course so they, team
0: building on steroids.
1: Oh, on steroids. Yeah. So they they ended up, you know, making it to the playoffs, right? And so, so Glenn Sather, you know, every once in a while, you have somebody in your life that recognizes something about you, things that yes. you don't see. And you both have probably had it. Yes, too. yes. And so, Glenn yes. Sather calls me down in New York City. Here is this guy. You know, he's a hockey Hall of Famer. He's a hockey legend. Is a player and a coach. And now he's a team president of the New York Rangers. You know, one of the original six teams. He says, he says to me, he's like, you know, you're pretty good at this. And I was like, I don't understand. He's like, you're pretty good at, and he went just like this. He did like a circle with his hand. He's like, you're pretty good at this leadership. He's like, I see how, I see how people look at you when you talk. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, you should do this. He's like, when you're finished with the military, you should do this. He's like, you're very, very good at this. And that's kind of how it started. Right. And I'm always telling people like executives, that sort of thing. If you see something in somebody, tell them, right. Like push them out of their comfort zone. So, and that's part of like what we're doing here now. Like, you know, you, you, you know, you know, you know, post-World War II, right? 50% of veterans started their own companies, Mm -hmm. right? 50% were entrepreneurs after World War II. Now that's what? Like 3.4%, right? Mm -hmm. And we have what? Like 4, 4 million veterans since 2001, something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you think right? about the, uh, well, the economy was booming during that time frame or it started to sure. boom because of the, you know, everybody being re-energized and the confidence yep. level was uh, uh, high and everything else. And I think that these guys really saw opportunities that were available out there or things that were missing and used their skills and their knowledge to do that. It's sure. not to say that they, the veterans don't do that today, but I don't think enough veterans give themselves credit for doing skills outside of what even they used within the military, but some of those other skills or things like you're talking about of what you were able to give an NHL hockey team. I mean, I I share with you, I went into life sciences when I came out of the military. The military didn't teach me anything about life sciences and biotech, biopharma, or anything. But you end up going a totally different career path as well because people saw something in you and you were able to use those skills that you had learned that were not about shooting weapons or all of that mm-hmm. to apply that to that type of, of lifestyle.
1: Yeah, you have to do that. And and listen, I, and so that was 2005 and I still had you know, five years left. And I, I retired in 2010 and I made a conscious decision to hang my guns up and not go back to them. And believe me, there were times that like I was like, man, how am I going to make my rent payment, right? My house, my mortgage payment. And you know, my buddy Paul Johnson is working for Triple Canopy. He's been working for him. He's a program manager. He's like, hey, listen, you need a gig, come. I I'll I'll take care of you. And I was like, I had to fight it. I said, no, Paul, I gotta stay this course. Mm-hmm. Right? And then and then you get a break, a team calls you and a business calls you, you know, and and like us, you know what we do as militaries, we we underpromise and over deliver, mm-hmm. right? And we have so many skills of leadership, and people are like, wow, how do you know that? It's just like, no, we know how to deal with people. I mean, there is no better melting pot of people than in the military. All of you know that, mm-hmm. right? There are people from all race, creed, colors, walks of life, religion, everything. Poor, yep. poor rich, it doesn't matter. Yep. All over. And the military, you know, helps you forge that. And then what do you do? You learn about, I mean, you learn about. You know, different cultures. Like, you know, every place you go, you know, whether it's Thailand or Egypt or, you know, Panama or Guatemala. Hell, in your platoon. You know? I mean right. And in your and in your platoon. Yeah. So yep. so that's the thing is that, you know, here's what veterans are. You know, veterans are agile, they're motivated, they're highly capable, they're team oriented. They're mission focused. You know, I told you, you know, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm speaking here at a big seminar tomorrow for, Pit, for Pitney Bowes. Thank you for that. You know, they're, they're having me speak at the seminar. And at the end, they're going to say, somebody's going somebody's gonna to ask me, how can I help a veteran? I'm like, hire one. Right. If he doesn't have the skills, send him to school. Because they're going to give you so much back that you're going to be like, wow. But what happens is a lot of times, as you said, these veterans, we don't see it in ourselves. Why? Because we're, you know, we're in a selfless service business. You know I mean? All of you, you know, you're you're getting ready to get a medal just like your friend. It's like, I don't want the Purple Heart. I don't deserve it. Right? Like, like give that medal. I mean, you know, in Afghanistan, right? You're going to give me some medal because I was a sergeant major, Mm -hmm. right? Leaving Afghanistan. I'm like, why are you giving that to me? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like. Give it to that specialist machine gunner who's been on 434 combat patrols, right? Don't give it to me because of my rank. I got enough medals. I don't want to change my uniform anyway, right? Yep. But that's what, But that's a, a lot of times what happens, right?
0: We're not used to taking and patting ourselves on the back and giving ourselves accolades. Not only that, but I, I mean, I know you'll agree with this too, JB. We're not used to actually stating the things that the team did and stating that we were part of that team and the team's success, which is something that's really important out here in the private sector, sure. is, you definitely want to portray that. You want to say that, you know, you were able to do X, Y, and Z. And yeah, you were part of a team. You didn't do it by yourself, but that's
1: okay. That's even better. It's even better. And, Much better. And <clears throat> Yeah. Well, but, and, but see, we, that's our like mindset. We think like that, but there's people that actually don't. It's it's in hey it's what you know what's in it for me and a lot of my executive coaching like I work with a lot of executives and and you see some they're young they're fired up they want to get there they're like yeah I'm you know I'm smarter than that guy that's there okay that you're right that guy's there but he's got fifteen years of experience now you can climb the ladder as fast as you want you just can't skip a rung mm-hmm. right there's no shortcut that. that's what I tell them I'm like yeah maybe you can be there in five years sure I'm not saying you can't so how do you get there you get there with Training and education. So, what are you doing for yourself? Are you reading? Like, what what are you doing? You're going home. What are you doing when you're home? Like, how are you improving yourself? Are you listening to this podcast? Right? Right. Are you Are you reading a book? What What generates you to get better? What knowledge are you putting in your brain? Right. Yeah. And uh, and I think that you know we need to continue to tell you know veterans this. Right. Like, look, you can. Man, you're agile, you're capable, you're smart. And like, I mean, I've seen some of the smartest people I know from the military.
0: <laughs> if you, can, if you can find a veteran, kind of an old school, maybe like a veteran mentor, that's great. But if not, my suggestion to a lot of these people is find somebody who is at least a life coach. And I know there's a lot of people that have that title that's out sure. there, but everybody that's ever served in a senior leadership role at some point within their career starts getting some kind of life coach or somebody that can help them 100%. because yeah because you've got to you want to keep growing and and once yep. you start feeling like you're becoming stagnant and stale well guess what somebody's right there behind you nipping at your heels ready to take your role rather quickly
1: yep that's it you know and yeah you know, listen uh, they can go to my website jbsleaders.com they can call me i'll be glad to help them or i'll put i'll push them in the right direction um i mean i met with a senior executive today woman in charge of a huge corporation And we were talking just about these skills, right? And the dynamics and, and you have to have that and, and like find a mentor, you know, even when I was, you know, growing this, when I was in Houston for a couple of years and learning and a a friend of mine, who's a big insurance guy, Dartmouth grad, uh, Jim Edgeworth, right. He's a, a Boston guy, you know, lives in Houston, big, big insurance guy. Like he would take me to these meetings, even though it had nothing to do with me. And he's like, he would take me to these meetings with these bank presidents or clients. And he was like, just, just sit, sit and listen. And I would sit and listen and take notes. And I'd be like, what a great opportunity. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'd be like, wow. He's like, did you see, like, they didn't even know what they wanted to buy. Mm -hmm. I kind of had to lead them to that. Mm -hmm. And you know, like, and that's the business we're in because when you lead people in the right direction, you know, you'll have them forever. Like, they'll people, people, people want the truth. Right. That's all they want. And you got to take courage over comfort. So,
0: yeah. No, um, I think it's really good. And I was very fortunate to have a life coach come into my life that really not just changed me from a career standpoint, but helped me understand. Something maybe that I had missed that I thought was a passion a long time ago, and I didn't realize that I had lost that spark and that drive of what that passion and purpose was. And so finding guys like you that can help us understand that through conversation and pick that up rather quickly to go, hey, listen, what your problem is, Robert, is that you no longer have what you think you have. You lost that because now you're focused on something different. And that may not be a bad thing, but is that really what you're wanting sure. to do? And so it's helping. And some people do this um, you know, because they're a really good friend. Some people might be able to right. do this as a um, significant other. But when you find somebody who understands it, <clears throat> somebody who has uh, the background and knowledge and expertise like you have that has been very mm-hmm. worldly and seen different types okay. of organizations, different leaders and different managers, you can help guide somebody much faster than the average Joe can because
1: they can only lead you well, so far. Well, and, the, and, and, and so that's what, when you're doing that, when you're helping people, you're assisting people. Look, my uh, look, my goal in life is to turn individuals into leaders. That's, what I, that's my passion, right? I love doing it. And, uh, you know, like we talked about it, I was fortunate to do it in the National Hockey League as the first ever executive director of leadership and culture development. And, you know, basically started because you know, Vinny Viola, who and uh, Doug Sifu, who own the Florida Panthers, um, NHL team. You know, he wanted a, a unit sergeant major, and he said to me, he's like, "Look, I want you to be the unit sergeant major, health, welfare, morale, discipline, training. Like, just y- y- you know, do what you do." And I was like, "Well, great. No one's going to know what that means." Mm-hmm. And and he he went he he put his finger on his forehead and said, "Executive director of leadership and culture development." Okay, and there and there it spawned. But now other pro sports teams are doing this because they see that you need, even players need a mentor, right? And and it's somebody that's like, you, you know, not the coach who's going to cut them or the GM who's going to trade them, right? Or the owner who has to pay them. It's somebody that can that can talk to people and say, okay, what's going on? All right, what do you need help with? Okay, let me help you. Yeah. So, um. And I think, you know, back in the day, like, you know, I, uh, my father, God rest his soul, was a World War II veteran, 38th Division in the South Pacific. Like, I think that generation were very, very good mentors for each other. And I think sometimes our generation now and new is not as good because there is so much the world's flat, right? So, you know, I, you know, I remember my dad, you you when he retired, like, you know, he would go have coffee with these five veterans in the morning at Denny's every single morning and, you know, solve the world's problems. But they also, people could come to them and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm trying to get into college or something else. And they'd be like, oh, hang on, call this guy or Mm. call this guy, right? Like, like, or try this route. Great networking, 100%. And, and I think sometimes like as veterans, we gotta, we gotta work on our networking and, you know, we do it because, you know, and we have all these funds to help and all that. And that's great. Don't get me wrong, because there's veterans that really, really need that. But we need to network veterans, right? Like, I think
0: most people have so, difficulty networking period at AJB just because of the social skills that have kind of gone out of the way. Sure, I mean, they've, yeah. they've, I mean, we, we now would rather text rather than pick up the phone. I'd sure. rather email you than actually pick up the phone. You know, Call
1: somebody. Yeah. Right.
0: You know, back in the day, like you said, you'd call them and go, Hey, you know, let's all meet down at such and such. And because they had that camaraderie, they went down there, but it was also a phone call. If I'd have got mm-hmm. a text, ah, maybe, you know, I can just not act like I answered the, you know, the text or whatever it is. you know, Back then right. we didn't have caller ID in the, you know, in the fifties that you're talking about where they could look at it and go, Oh, sh- sh- that's uh, JB calling me. Yeah. Well, that's Paul calling yeah. me. I'm not going to answer it. You know, technically.
1: Yeah. Tech- and I, yeah. And I think what happens is because, you know, we assume the world's flat, like we connect with somebody on LinkedIn and think, OK, well, that's it. But but it's 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 really, you know, you got to grow your executive growth network. So um, a friend of mine who I do work for in Vegas is a guy by the name of Tom Power. He owns his own company. Right. And he like the other day, he took me to some um some guy's campaigning for Congress. He's like, hey, I want to take you to this meet and greet. It was a meet and greet, some big guy's house, whole thing. And it's just like, you, you know, you grow your executive growth network. You just meet people, right? And he, mm-hmm. he's, and right away, he's like, you know, JB's a veteran, da, da, da. This is what he does. And, and you know, it only takes that one seat. So you, you got to get, you know, these people got to help you. you. You know, I told you, I think I told you when we were talking before, like, you, you know, when I got to speak at this in this uh executive Super Bowl party the night before the Super Bowl and I told people I said you want to help a veteran and we talk about it hire a veteran right <laughs> like like find one right do a do a study do a search yeah. find, find that person yeah and um you're exactly right networking is is big because let's look at the veteran started companies right FedEx Walmart, Remax, Sperry Shoes, GoDaddy, USA, like, those companies, yeah, they're they're Branding. taking veterans back. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're taking veterans back. Like, I think, I don't know what the number is, but I bet, I bet more than 50% of the pilots at FedEx are all foreign military. Yeah, The pilots, right? So, it's kind of the, and so, that's what we, you know, have to do. And you're doing it by this podcast. Like, hey, listen to your podcast. They're good. Yeah. You do a good job. Thanks, JB. This is, This is really good, yeah.
0: I think if people did listen to more of these, even on a drive, whether it's our podcast or you know some of the other ones that's available out there, you're right. That's just one way that you described early on. What books are you reading? What you know? What podcast are you listening to? What are you doing right. to sharpen your knife? To sharpen yourself so that you can become better at your career field? So when you were going back to you know your early days as being a ranger and everything, who would ever think that when you got out and went to become a drill sergeant that you would be become more educated by becoming exposed to new things around you, by finding yep. people that could help you in your craft, becoming a marksman, which yep. marksman and everything, so that when you went back to Ranger Regiment, yep. you then were able to show and prove your worth once again. And let's face it, sure. what we're talking about here is, what are you doing to prove your value to whatever organization that you belong to, whether it's military or civilian, how much are you keeping up with that? And that will then increase your net worth whether it's, whether it's in the military again or in the private sector.
1: Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. I mean, it's part of, you know, even, you know, even me like writing this book, right? Like for 10 years, I've been, I've been putting notes down and like, you know, I, and I called all the big companies and they're like, yeah, whatever, send us a transcript, the whole thing. And finally through a veteran, you know, I found an editor and, you know, she walked me through the process and uh you know i sent her my transcript and, she, and and when she sent it back she's like okay are you, are, are you sitting down and i'm like oh boy here it comes <laughs> <laughs> but but you know she actually told me she's like i can tell what you wrote 10 years ago and i could tell what you wrote now and i said how do you know that and she's like your writing has gotten better and so and I was like, wow. So I actually went back to the early chapters and I rewrote those. She's like, Your writing's gotten better. And you know, from that, you know, here's a you know, here, here's a woman that's a, a champion at her job, an expert at her job, professional editor, and you know, now I have a book. So
0: Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So you mentioned sure. that you uh, you're the author of Warrior Leadership, Steps to Success for Leaders on the Ground. Tell us a little bit about what they can find within that book if they were to pick it up.
1: Sure. So it's no, um, you know, I, 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 tell some stories, uh, you know, but it's not a- anything battle or combat related, but basically it's, it's all leadership related. So, you know, so a, a new level manager, up and coming emerging leader, um, a mid-level manager or a senior level leader can pick it up. they short chapters and every chapter I have a takeaway, like three bullet points takeaway. And, uh, I've been getting great feedback on it. Um, it's not theory, it's real leadership skills to help you. It's a book that you'll take and you'll tab. And, you know, if somebody has a problem with something, Is like, hey, you know what? You need to work on your emotional quotient. Look at this chapter. And you can hand the book off to somebody. And uh, that's what I try to do. I try to give somebody a, an, an executive guide to leadership. But for anybody that's, you know, I just had a young lady read it. She's in charge of four people. She's, you know, t- 21 years old, high school educated. And I'm like, here you go. And she was like, oh, my God, there were so many great tips in there for me. I said, That's the point of
0: it. You know, when you think about management and leadership, it doesn't matter how many people that you're leading or managing, or if you're doing it right now at this very moment, those skills are relatable across the whole board. So whether you're wanting to be a leaner or a manager or whether you are one right now, to your point, you can always pick up a book like this, learn some new tips, learn some new things that may uh, help you in the next situation, if not now, certainly in the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know what else I do when I meet clients and I'm with clients, like, and as we go, I exchange a reading list. So like I say, here's my reading list. I want you to give me your reading list. And I mean, I've picked up like so many great books. I never would have picked up by somebody saying, oh, you should read this. I'm like, wow, that's amazing.
0: All right. I'm going to put you on the spot, JB. What's your reading list?
1: Uh, OK, so I have quite a few books on there, but I'll give you I'll give you just a couple right off. Right. Obviously, obviously Grit by Angela Duckworth. All okay. right. That's a great one. Um, uh, the Strong Gray Line. It's a book about uh, a West Point class that had the most uh, casualties. Uh, it's a great class because it's all individual um, chapters and it's written by people that knew these men and women. And so as veterans, you'll love it. And real re- re- people should read it. Um, a, a great book about just being a leader and a coach is called the Matheny manifesto. It's written by Mike Matheny. Um, and then, and then I do like a daily spiritual reading. Uh, it's called um, journey to the heart by melody Beattie. So those are four, which people ask me, I was like, pick those up. And of course my book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you <laughs> yeah. know, what's funny is yeah. this is great for me and Paul, I don't know how many of these that you've read, but I've never read any of these. Zero. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah zero it, for you, Paul. So yeah, this is great yeah. because well, for even us right here, these are four books that out of all the books on leadership management, which I love to, to look yep. at, I, I've never even read these books. So thank you.
1: Yeah. You're going to love it. grit, grit, the strong gray line, uh, the Matheny manifesto and journey from the heart. You're going to love them all. And, uh, it, they're all wonderful, wonderful books. I've tabbed them all. And, um, you know, I go back to them to, to, to read other things. So, but that's, but so, a lot of these books, people have t- told me. Like the Matheny Manifesto, a coach that I'd work with, he said, "Hey, you a hockey coach? He's like, have you ever read the book, the Matheny Manifesto?" And I looked it up. I'm like, "This baseball book?" He's like, "It's not about baseball. Trust me. And it sort of is, but it isn't." Yeah. And it's and so then when I was uh, running the Florida Panthers uh, youth organization, we had uh, you know probably about t- 20 coaches. Um, for I-, I bought each of them that copy, and I said it's mandatory reading. <laughs> So it's oh, a great book.
0: No, that's good stuff. So people yeah. can go out there and learn more about you, JB, through jbsleaders.com, which is the website that's that correct. you mentioned earlier. Um, sure. You're even out there on Instagram at jbspisso, jbspisso, um, yep. Twitter at JBS Leaders. What am I missing? Is there some other place where people can no, learn more about your book no, or that's, purchase that's, it?
1: And, no, yeah. that's perfect. They go right to my website, uh, uh, JBS Leaders. And you, you can go right from there. You can click it on. I also have a little action log too. I did an action log, which is basically like a like a like a weekly report for yourself that you can go and summarize and you know just like um, keeping keeping your shooting bible. Right? You want to yeah. You want to know you want to have a record of like what you're doing during the week. Then you can go back and check yourself because you know you have to uh, inspect what you expect, right? So you need to do that for yourself, so it's great.
0: No, it's great feedback and great information that I think everybody awesome. will enjoy. I actually, like I said, I love the books. I love how we um, mentioned those things so somebody can have a takeaway even from this, not just your book, from but others as well. Um, sure. I hope people go out and check out your website, learn more about you and what you've got to sure. offer available out there. I appreciate you coming on, JB, and um, I hope we get a chance to do this again when you guys become a New York Times bestseller or something of that nature. <laughs>
1: I love it. I'm going to get there. Robert, Paul, thank you so much. You're great Americans. You're great people. And uh, as Julius Caesar once said, when we meet again, we shall smile.